you can hear this message, listen closely. To the exiled, misunderstood, or upside down, this is your message of hope. When problems come, use them. When enemies persecute you, love them. These struggles are a fire, refining you into gold. Look around. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. Good morning. You are different. All of you watching the line, you're different also. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you're part of this series that we're about to embark upon. And I uh, pray that that video just set the tone for what we're going to do this morning. I want to begin just talking to you. In life, oftentimes, we have these monumental decisions that we make that will change our life direction forever. And sometimes we have smaller, more subtle decisions that we make that have the same kind uh, of an impact. I remember being a freshman in, in college and being a math major. And my mom, who was a school teacher, and I was pursuing that school teaching, talked me out of being a school teacher. She said, you don't want to do that. And I decided to become a mechanical engineer instead. That really changed the, you know, direction of my life. And for 15 years, I, I worked in that industry, and I loved every, every minute of it. Um, about 11 years into that experience of, of working for 3M, I felt God calling me into ministry, so I began to take classes at IWU, Indiana Wesley University, and then got the opportunity to actually to come on staff here as an assistant back in the 90s. That really changed the direction of my life a lot. Sometimes these monumental decisions can change our life drastically. I bet if you think for a moment in your own life, just sit there and reflect with me, I bet you have made some big decisions at times. I mean, when you get married... Pretty big decision. Pretty much changes your life, right? If it's not, let me know what's going on because I like to know that. We make, we make these monumental decisions and they just change drastically the direction of life. And that's one way our life's direction is, is, is really affected. But you know, there's sometimes more subtle ways that your life is drastically affected. And maybe you don't really realize it, but it's happening. And as a Christ follower frequently... There's been a teaching or, or, or something I've heard that just really affected me, that changed the direction of how I live my life and what I did. I remember one such case. Um, at my, uh, in my closing years at 3M, I was managing a lot of people. And when you manage a lot of people, you have a lot of what? People with a lot of conflict and a lot of disagreements. And at times, the conversation can get pretty heated and People are pretty convictional about what they believe. And I remember coming upon the scripture that said this, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so I began to do something very differently in the meetings, and I began to observe this. I would go into these really contested meetings, and I would be a calming influence. And I would just speak quietly, and it was amazing how well that worked. And it began to change my direction in my life. I began to realize we don't have to outscream other people. We don't have to even use our positional power. We can just speak in a calm voice under the unction of the Holy Spirit, and we can be 
ones that change direction. And then there's other scriptures that just, I look at it and I, I realize now how deeply it affected the direction of my life. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is in the Philippians where it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be achieved but he made himself nothing taking on the form of a servant being obedient even to the point of, of death on a cross. And I remember reading that scripture for the first time thinking, wow, that's the essence of Christianity. If I'm going to have the mind of Christ, I have to be a servant. I have to humbly follow him. And I tell you, that really, really deeply affected my life direction. Now, I, I didn't think of it as a monumental decision at the time. But now that I reflect on it, it probably was as big of a decision to let that scripture affect me as making that decision to be a pastor or make that decision to be an engineer. It just had that much influence on me. Now, here's why I'm sharing some of this. We're embarking today on this series entitled Different. There's a couple ways you can approach this. It can just be another series that doesn't affect you a lot. Or it can become a tool that you allow God to use to change maybe some directions in your life to drastically influence you. And I want to encourage you today just be open to the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he wants to do and let this series that we're going to, you know, dive into become a tool, perhaps, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit to really take your life in a direction it ought to go. And so uh, that, that's enough, a little, uh, enough uh, of, of that. But we've been doing this, this, this book. Aaron comes up with the greatest books. If you're ever stuck, I do this all the time to poor Aaron. When I'm stuck, I say, have you read anything lately? Yes, he has. And so we're doing this book called A Non-Anxious Presence as a staff development uh, exercise. And man, it goes so, long, so well with this series. I, 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 I've been reading ahead in the book a little bit. And, and Mark, Mark uh, Sayers wrote this book. And he has this basic um, proposal or thought he's putting forward that Frequently, what, what happens to us is that we, we move from one era, one, one kind of segment of history, into another segment of history, and we don't realize that there's an overlap of these two things. He's calling that the gray zone, where one thing is kind of losing its power and influence, and another thing is beginning to happen, and, 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 and industrial revolution was what's one example of that kind of thing. And he said... In that gray zone is a lot of conflict and a lot of contradictions. And he's saying in the book, we live in a gray zone right now. We're not really in a new era. We haven't really exited an old era. We're in this area of a lot of conflict and a lot of contradiction. Now, whether you believe that or not, I think that statement is true. And I'm not here to promote his book, or I haven't read it that much. But I begin to think, yeah, we are kind of in a gray zone right now. There's a lot of confusion out there, a lot of contradiction. And what does God call his people to be? Different. Because Christ reigns in our hearts. And we don't want to lament that we're in a gray zone. In fact, what Sayers is saying, and I think you'll get into a lot more as the book continues, is that this is a good place for Christianity to be, for Christian to be, because God works mightily in the margins. God works mightily when it seems like he isn't involved. And we just have to have great faith, and we have the answer, and we can bring clarity to confusion, and we can bring peace to contradiction. Amen? 
And we can be uh, used mightily by God. We can work out our salvation with trembling and fear. We can become established in who we are in Jesus Christ. All these kinds of things afford us this wonderful opportunity to grow in our dependence upon Christ. So what I want to do today as we kick off this new series is start with a word of prayer over you. I wrote this, so if it appears that I'm reading it, I am. So I would ask you to bow your head and just receive this uh, prayer this morning and may it be our heart as we enter into this series called Different. Jesus, we pray that as we go through the next several weeks in this First Peter series called Different, that we would be open to the Holy Spirit doing a transformative work in each one of our lives. May we identify with and find our identity in Jesus and in his ways. We live in a time that is truly confusing and contradictory. May we anchor ourselves firmly on Christ so that we're not tossed about as the epistle James warns us against. Grace us to hear your words, to take them to heart, and to live according to them. May we truly come out the other side of this series, different people, more in love with you than ever. In your name, Jesus, amen. So let's begin with a little background information on the book of 1 Peter. Of course, it's written by the Apostle Peter on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, it was directed to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day uh, Turkey. And we, we know that Peter, he, had, he, he was a prominent character in, in the time of Jesus. He's one of the disciples. And in the early church, he's also a, a really uh, predominant character. If you read the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, it, it, Peter's in there all over the place. In fact, I would really greatly encourage you to, this way, church. Listen, as we go through First Peter a good accompanying read is to read the first 12 chapters of Acts. And you kind of get the full orbed picture of the apostle Peter and what was going on at that time in the church. Um, Peter's words are, 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 are summarized this way. Watch out. Be prepared. Watch out. Be prepared. He's warning us we're going to have persecution from within and without. You know, in, inside the church, there's going to be issues that you have to deal with. And outside the church, from Roman culture and for people who, who don't know the things of God, there's going to be persecution. So Peter's saying, watch out, be aware, be prepared. Be aware and be prepared. So as I begin to look at the message for, specifically for this morning, I thought I would just zoom uh, through the first couple of verses, the introductory verses of 1 Peter. Um, and I'm not talking about Zoom meetings here, right? Now I use the word Zoom. It doesn't mean the same thing it used to mean. Zoom used to mean you get through something quickly. Not, that's not the case with a Zoom meeting, amen? Oh, well, anyway, things get redefined in culture. And so I felt God saying, slow down, look at these first two verses, they contain a lot of deep truth about who you are in Jesus Christ and who God is. And so I'm going to read to you the first two verses of 1 Peter, and we're going to stop and reflect on those for just a few moments this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkled by his blood. Grace and peace be to you in abundance. I call this first part of Peter, first Peter, identifying characteristics of Jesus' people. I went through the Jesus' people movement as a young person that forever affected me. And so I'm going to grab a hold of some of that 
at least as a title here. How should we look at Jesus' people? One to say we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. What should be some identifying markers that we grab a hold of and we realize about ourselves and they don't, they don't puzzle us? This identifies several of those for us. First of all, we're strangers. I didn't say you're strange. You're strangers. That means that this world is not your home. I love this place we live. Don't you? Do you like the earth? It's a good, pretty cool place, right? But we're visitors here. I've mentioned this before. Vicky and I love to go on these vacations. We love to hike in the Grand Teton or the Rocky Mountains or Glacier or whatever. I love that kind of stuff. I love the physical side of it. I love the majesty of creation. And I marvel at a God who's so creative and can put all these things together. But we are temporary residents here. This place is not our home. And Peter making that point says strangers. He's making the point. This world is not where we set our affections. We set our affections on heaven. And we are, we're, we're, we're visiting here for a season. And I would look at it this way. We're a foreigner who is briefly settled among native people. But this is not our home. Second characteristic of Jesus' people. Scattered. Peter notes that believers are scattered uh, among these areas. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus says to you and I, you are salt. Do not lose your saltiness or you're no good other than to be thrown out. And so what we're seeing here by what the Apostle Peter said and what Jesus has taught us is that we're, we're this people scattered among the nations to be salt, to bring the flavor and the preservation of Christ to bear wherever we find ourselves. And we can't do that in holy huddles. We do that as we allow ourselves to be scattered, as we bring Christ into our workplaces and into our families and into our neighborhoods. Um, you're supposed to bring the flavor of Christ wherever you find yourself. You can change the tone and the atmosphere. If you are simply an out loud follower of Jesus Christ, you can become the one that sets the temperature of the room by following after him hard. And also we're to preserve the name of Jesus Christ wherever we find ourselves. We're scattered. Why? To be salt, to preserve and to bring the flavor of Christ to bear on every situation we find ourselves in. Um, by the way, in this letter, Peter's using a lot of terminology that the ancient Jew would get. They were a scattered people. Frequently that was their history as Israelites. And they were always looking forward to the homeland. And he's saying to you and I, we're scattered people too. And we should be looking forward to our home of heaven. But realize right now we're scattered. So we're strangers and what? We're scattered. Now I'm going to get a little theological with you. As Jesus people, you're seen and you're saved and you're being sanctified. That's what the rest of this introduction is talking about. You're seen and you're saved and you're being sanctified. Peter, I love him. He wastes no time getting deep here. He goes deep right away in the introduction. He uses this Trinitarian language uh, to kind of clarify who we are as Jesus' people. Um, the Father, in his foreknowledge, sees those who come to Jesus. He sees them. He knows them. So you are our seen people. He knows your name. Right? And we're going to go through uh, this scripture here of 1 Peter, and we're going to pull verses out, there's three of them, that we're going to memorize as a group of people. And as I was looking at this idea that we're seeing people, I immediately thought of uh, 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, our first memory verse. It's on the wall when you leave the church in the, um, in the, 
coffee shop area. Oh, I don't know what we call it anymore since we don't read the coffee shop, but it's on the window. You'll see it. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to read that scripture out loud. It's 1 Peter 2, 9 together. It's, it's about understanding that we're seen by God and, and we're special to God. So I want you to read this verse out loud with me. Are you ready to go? First hour, I read this super loud. And there's about 200 more of you here in this service than first hour. My expectations just went through the roof. You're going to read this really loud, right? Now, if you have kids, what are you going to do with this? You're going to teach them this. It's on our keychain. We have enough of these, I think, that we can give them to the kids, too. Read this scripture, meditate on the scripture. In about four weeks, it'll actually be in one of the messages. But for now, we're just going to read it all together and understand it. By, we're seen by our God. Read it with me. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Man, it's a basic need of ours to be seen. And right away we read here in 1 Peter 1, God sees us. But not only that, he saved us. That sprinkling by the blood uh, reference in this scripture is referring to Christ's death on the cross for us where he shed his blood. And Peter already is saying that in Christ and by the shedding of his blood, by the sprinkling of his blood, we're saved. So we're not only just seeing people, but we're saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Save is a defining characteristic of the Christ follower. I know for some of us we're going, well, this is super elementary. Yes, it is. But do you marvel at it? That in Christ Jesus and by the sprinkling of his blood, by the death on the cross, you are a saved person. That is who you are. It's part of the identifying marker of you as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit sanctifies the believer, which means he sets the believer, the one who is seen and saved, he sets that believer apart for God's good works and God's good purposes. Two verses into Peter. We're already getting all this understanding about our identity. We're strangers. I love this place. It's like visiting a great, you know, vacation place. You love there, but you probably weren't going to live there forever. Right? We're strangers. We're scattered. We're to bring the flavor of Christ to bear wherever we find ourselves. We're to bring the flavor of Christ and the preservation of Christ. And we're seen and we're saved and we're being sanctified. That's the introduction to the letter of 1 Peter. Kind of a deep introduction, isn't it, when you really think, think about it? Really identifies who we are. And so now we're ready to jump into the rest of 1 Peter this morning. I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 7. But I want you to approach this really differently. I'm not going to exegesis this that much. I'm going to just talk to you about how you live differently because of the scripture that Peter reveals to us here. I want us to practice some of it. We're going to have some opportunity to do that today. And if you're at home and I forget to tell you, I expect you to do it at home with us. But I want us to be more participatory in the scripture. All right. And so we're going to, we're go I'm going to read first Peter chapter one, verse three through seven, but I want you to listen to this as this is the way I do life now as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a new creation in Jesus Christ. This is how I do life. Listen to it with that kind of a filter. Here we go. Praise be to God and Father, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power to the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in what? Praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I'm going to zoom in on how these verses reveal to you and I to live as a new creation in Christ. That's what I'm going to zoom in on on this message, all right? So here we go. One, praise God that in Christ Jesus you are a new creation. As a follower of Christ, as a new creation in Christ, as Jesus' people, praise should be on your lips. You should be praising God frequently that you're a new creation in him. Sometimes I get into reading some books that a lot of people don't read. One of them I've been reading on and off is this, this City of God book by uh, uh, St. Augustine, you know. At any rate, I've been reading this book, and, and he was addressing some issues in the early church. And uh, Rome was blaming the Christian movement for weakening the, 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 the culture and causing problems. And Augustine said, no, I, I, I'm going to... I disagree with you. And he writes this book, <laughs> short little book, right? Called City of God to, to address that question. But he basically makes a simple statement. You are either a city or a citizen of the city of God or you're a citizen of this world. But you're not both. You can't be both. And he's saying, for Rome's sake, it's way better to be a, a citizen of the city of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that'll bring so many benefits that you can't imagine. And he writes his book explaining what all those are. All right. Um, and, and so what we're, what we're seeing here in this different series here right, already by the Apostle Peter is he is saying as a new creation in Jesus Christ, there should be praise on your lips, not doubting if this is good or not, but there should be a praise in your lips for your creator and all the things that he's doing in, in, in your life. So... Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to do a little bit of a praise exercise. I know I, you all love to participate. I know you like to be demonstrative. I just know that's who you are. So you're going to stand. Stand with me. This way you can wake up in the middle hour and kind of get the blood flowing again. If you want to hop on one foot for a while and hop on the other foot, you know. Um, I don't know about you. I'm stiff all the time. I wake up in the morning. I can't even go up and down stairs. Anybody relate to me on that? Sometimes I think I'm just going to crawl up the stairs. That's how bad it gets. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to do a praise exercise today and merely exclaim out loud the things I just read to you from 1 Peter 3 through 7. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, praise God, and there's a comma. That's where you go, (sighs) take a big breath. And then you say the rest of the line. So the first one would go like this, praise God, because you're going to say it loud, right? Because when you praise God, if you go, oh, praise God. That's really not praising him. Praise God. You go, praise God. <sighs> I have been given new birth in Jesus. Take a breath. Then you're going to go, praise God. I have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You're going to say it with me. Ready to go? Now, first hour was really loud on this. Not that we compete in our culture at all. Football is starting today and everybody's in a competitive mood. 
But we're going to say it loud like you actually mean it because this is a praise exercise and we want to exercise that muscle. So here we go. Praise God. I have been given new birth in Jesus. Praise God. I have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Praise God. I have an inheritance in heaven that is lasting. Praise God that through faith I am shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's like a run-on sentence of praise. Isn't that good? I hope you did it at home with us too. That's so good. Go ahead and be seated. Now, praise like this does several things for us. It's got several benefits. One, it does establish our identity. We're praising God for who we are and we're taking it in. But faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. So when we say this out loud, it's like we're speaking faith to ourselves. We're praising God, it's coming out of our mouth, it's going in our ears, it's kind of got this effect of just building our faith. But perhaps this last reason is the most important for me. And it's found in Proverbs 70, 22, it says this, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. When we choose to praise God, which we should, his character demands it and deserves it, it works health into us. It works medicine into our hearts. It relaxes you. It probably releases endorphins. I don't know the biology behind it, but it's so beneficial. And I know this, I can get critical really fast. How about you? I can bemoan all the problems I see around and sometimes, and I I know Vicky's listening online, sometimes she tells me I'm getting to be a cranky old man. I am. You need to have something that turns your heart away from that kind of thing and that kind of thinking. And praising God does this. So as Jesus people, as a new creation in Jesus Christ, there should be a ready praise on our lips for who God is and what he's doing in our lives. It's good for us. God deserves it, demands it, and I tell you what, it benefits you physically and spiritually like few other things will do. So in Christ, you are a new creation. Always praise God for this. Now, I want to just give a plug. As we go through these messages, this book goes along with these messages. And so there's some questions in, in the book here on what it means to be a new creation and how do you actually put off the old and how do you put on, on the new, um, you know, at discipling your kids. Have you talked to them, parents, about the fact that they're physically born but they're also spiritually born again? Have you had that discussion? Are you having those kinds of discussions of faith with your kids? I, I can't tell you enough. Use this thing. It's so applicable. It's written for us. It's not something we ordered off the shelf. It's something we wrote ourselves with you all in mind. And I can't emphasize enough. Use this thing as a tool and and talk to your friends. Talk to your group. Talk to your spouse about some of the things that that the book will bring up that you hear in in sermons. So let's go on to point number two here. uh, What it means to, to live as a new creation. You are to live by faith, shielded by God's power. So we're to be people who live by faith. Um, and we're shielded in by God's power, which means that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us and empowers us, and through the Spirit, we do things that we're not able to do on our own. So I'm going to muse a little bit on faith. Don't hold this against me. If you don't agree with everything I say, that's okay. God will bring light to your eyes eventually. (laughs) I'm just going to muse. 
seriously, if you don't agree with everything I say here, that's fine with me. But I want to think with you on faith out loud a little bit. I've been thinking on this a lot this last week. When you boil life down to the bare essentials, we all are people of faith, whether we admit it or not. We live by faith. We believe some things that set our life direction and we live accordingly. Whether we call it faith or we don't call it faith, even the most, you know, uh, anti-God person lives by some kind of creed, some kind of faith. They put their hope and their belief in something. That's living by, by faith. And I want to give you an example. Um, uh, again, this is just something I had to work out as a believer because I was in the science field and this was hammered on me so much when I went to school. I had to work out origins a little bit personally. I had to come to some kind of conclusion. Is God creator or is God not creator? Because I had already put my faith in Jesus Christ, but I was working out this big issue of faith. And so um, when it comes to origins, I'm going to just make a declarative statement here. Um, if you have not looked at this issue very much, you may wonder, is that true or not? When it comes to origins, that is the beginning of humanity, it's always a faith issue. Whether you're a hardcore evolutionist or hardcore creationist, it's faith. Because nobody was there and we can't recreate it. I went to that reliable resource called the internet and I thought, I'm just going to put this question in there. And I would, like, the question went like this. Is there scientific evidence that would prove that we have evolved and that origins is true from an evolutionary standpoint. I just put that kind of question in there, okay? Because I wanted to see what it said, because I know it's unbiased. So here's what it said. This is really interesting. Here's my answer I got. The process of general evolution could theoretically be reproduced through experimentation, but it never has been. Okay. That, friends, is a declaration of faith. So if you believe in evolution as the model of origins, it's never been proven scientifically, that's a step of faith for you. All I'm trying to do when it comes to some debates like this is get us on a level, play, a level playing field. I have no problem with being a person of faith. I believe in God as my creator. I have no problem with that. If you want to believe in evolution as a model for origins, okay, it's still a faith issue. All, that's, all, all, that's my big point I'm making here. It, because we don't have an experimental model to prove it. Are you with me on this? Some of you are going, oh, can you speak like that? Yeah, sure. I just did it. <laughs> so the question that Big's asking is, what are you willing to put your faith in? Now, for me, I'm, I'm going to go through my own little journey here, my personal journey, because I had to work this out because I had so much science in my background, okay? I mean, a huge amount of science. And so I, I remember thinking, okay, is Darwin's theory of origins right? Now, this was put forth in November 24th, 1859, a long time ago. And when he put forth his theory of origins, he didn't understand cells a lot. He just didn't have the technology. So he thought they could really mutate super easily, and therefore you could have life evolved by gradual mutations of multiple times over and over and over again. But now... With technology, we can see a cell. It's not simple. It's extraordinarily complex. It can't mutate easily. In fact, it has a lot of symbiotic relationships. If you change one thing, it kills the other thing. It kills the cell. 
based on that, Darwin's theory of uh, evolution has been thrown out by the evolutionists. Because they say his theory was wrong. It made a wrong assumption. You know what assumptions mean, right? The acronym. Okay, I'm not going to go there. You can think it in your mind. But now we see through the complexity of cells and the complexity of organs that all these things that Darwin was assuming is just simply not true. And also, he made this statement. The fossil world, as we find more fossils, will prove me out. Well, millions of fossils later has proven just the opposite. So I'm thinking, okay, I have no problem with God as creator here. It's a faith issue. I'm thinking, you got to have a lot of faith in somebody like Darwin. It's just not true. What he said is just not working out. That's science. You have a theory, you make experiments, observe it. If it's not true, you say the theory's false, right? That's science? That's basic science. Um, I remember talking with a, a really good friend of mine at 3M. His name was Matt. He was a designer. Just a brilliant guy. Just brilliant. And Matt was struggling with faith. And he knew I was a Christian, and we were talking faith. And one day he pops into my office and he said, I think I see where you're coming from. Because I design equipment all day long. That's all I ever do. I would never think that just happened by chance. It's orderliness. It's the way it works together. All, all screams designer, designer, designer. And I remember just smiling. Yep. And what does your body scream? Designer, designer, designer. Matt said that on his journey to finding Christ. He was coming to that conclusion. And then I think of great men of faith. Some, some people have sports heroes for their, their kind of, you know, heroes. I have, I have a, I'm a science nerd. One of my heroes is Isaac Newton. I mean, the dude discovered calculus. He's brilliant, right? Yet he was a hardcore creationist. And he was a hardcore follower of Jesus Christ. And then you got Robert Boyle, another great scientist. Discovers the ideal gas law. I mean, this is like fundamental chemistry, right? Hardcore creationist, hardcore follower of Jesus Christ. Then you got Michael Faraday, electromagnetism, motors, hybrid cars. All that stuff is based on the theories that he developed, right? Hardcore creationist, hardcore follower of Jesus Christ. So I just think my faith is reason. That's all. That's all I'm saying here is I have a reasoned faith and, 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 and I, I'm just musing with you. I'm done musing. Okay, but, it, but you got to be a person of great faith. That's my point I'm making. We got to be people of great faith, unapologetically following Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation with trembling and fear. Work it out. Be a person of great faith. And God wants to fill you with the person of the Holy Spirit so that you live not according to what you see, not according to your own strength, but you live according to the Holy Spirit within you. We got to quit apologizing. We got to quit living like we have something to be ashamed of. We got to live out loud for our Lord Jesus Christ any rate, I'm going to go on. One more thought Peter shares, and this is point three. The present reality is that it is possible that you may suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And I think this suffering takes, level, uh, takes place on three different levels, physical, emotional, and spiritual. You know, physically, we joke, getting old hard. Illnesses are hard. Death of a friend devastates. Sometimes, you know, it's financial hardships. But sometimes, you know what is also trial? You're young and you're strong and you think you're invisible. You, my friend, are in the middle of a trial because you're self-reliant at that point and you just don't realize it. 
Sometimes we do really well financially. We just got all kinds of money. You are in the midst of a trial. Are you going to remember God in the middle of that thing? Or are you going to become self-reliant? See, trials aren't always just these negative experiences. Sometimes really good things happen. And the question becomes, is my heart still Jesus' heart? Emotionally, you know, we can have trials of relationship. We can have trials with, uh, with um, you know, financial problems. That they, they can cause you to just go kind of crazy. Um, we can have depression and anxiety. Those are all real, true trials. But I tell you what, a big trial is, will you remember God in the good times? And that brings us to the spiritual component. God warned ancient Israel, you're going to eat, you're going to have your fill, life's going to be good, and you're going to forget me. See, sometimes the biggest trial we face is blessings and doing well when we forget our God. Now, of course, when it comes to spiritual trials, there's spiritual attack. Anybody ever go through spiritual attack? I do. I tell you, for a while there, I, I think every Saturday night, something went wrong. And I didn't put two and two together Sunday mornings just around the corner. I mean, one time the sewer backed up in our house. It's Saturday night. Just it was one thing after another. I could, it was amazing the amount of spiritual attack I was going through. And I, I began to say, oh, I need to pray different. In fact, at the time, I began to ask the church, please pray for me on Saturday night. Because there's spiritual attack that happens all the time. And when you're following Christ hard, spiritual attack is part of the equation. Um, and then you have sin of your own part, part that could be a problem. But then sin of others. Sin affects everybody. Loved ones, friends. It doesn't, we're not entities unto ourselves. So when I opened this message, I said we live in the gray zone right now. This world is a place of confusion and, and, and contradiction and conflict, right? But in Christ... Oh, my goodness, in Christ Jesus, we can be more than conquerors. And I want to bring us to a conclusion here today real quickly. As you live faithfully for Jesus, this proves your faith that brings praise, glory, and honor to Jesus Christ. As you live faithfully in Jesus, this proves your faith. It's more genuine than gold, as he says here which brings praise, glory, and honor to Jesus. Now, honor means to bring esteem and respect. Praise means what we just did. We praise God for who he is and what he's promising us. But I want to differentiate with you for a moment between praise and glory. They're not just synonyms. Praise and glory don't mean the same thing. Glory is praise and honor on steroids. Glory says, I see the splendor of you, God, and my, weak, and my knees are weakened. I just, I can't imagine life without you. Glory is this overwhelming kind of rapture poured out to God because of who he is. You're just captured by him and you love him so much. When something is glorified, it's praised to the highest degree possible. When we live our lives faithfully for Jesus Christ, it brings praise, glory, and honor to him. And that's my prayer for all of us. Let's, let me pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for um, this first message from First Peter. I pray that we would be people who understand we're strangers in this world, that we're scattered to be ones who bring the flavor and the uh, pr- preservation of Christ to bear in our world, that in you, God, we're, we're seen and we're saved and we're being sanctified and, and praise be to your name for all that stuff, Lord. And I just pray that that would result in us living this life of praise. That we praise you all the time. It's good for our health. It's, it's, it's 
what you demand, Lord, and what you deserve, um, God, and it's a, it's a mighty witness to those around us. And, and Lord, I just want to pray that we'd be people of faith, that we'd live faithfully, being empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit, so that we then bring praise and glory and honor to your name, Jesus. I pray these things in your name and through your blood, Jesus. Amen.